0: depression. It's a very challenging conversation and a very sensitive one too. I've dealt with depression firsthand. Maybe you are currently right now or you know somebody that has a friend, a family member, a work colleague. It can be hard to find out the information that's needed or even where to start. So this podcast, I teamed up with our in-house GP, Dr. Jill Hamilton, to talk openly about depression in itself, my struggles and my battles through the processes that I went through, as well as what's on offer and what's available via your local GP. And in the description across every platform, you'll find a list of links as well as forms that you can use to help speed up the process and help get diagnosis. So stick around. It might be worth just seeing this one through, even though it might be a challenging topic for you right now. Hopefully there's some good intention at the end of it. Enjoy. Depression. You know that I've spoken about this in the past on social media and... We're going to be talking about this from a medical standpoint and from a fitness aspect. But before I get into any of this, I do want to let you know that there's potentially going to be some triggering things throughout this conversation that I'm going to have with Dr. Jill Hamilton today. Now, that being said, if you can bear this conversation and you're at a point right now to be able to take that on board, it's worth listening to because there's going to be some valuable information that's going to come from myself and my experiences, personal experiences, but also the information that Dr. Jill Hamilton is going to be able to give you too. So, Dr. Jill Hamilton's back with us again from Hamilton Health, partnered with us inside of Impact Health Club and depression. So, depression for me is a very personal journey, it's a very personal experience. I've shared this openly on social media numerous times, and it's, it's had some backlash in the past because of the whole aspect of social media and mental health. But I think it's something that isn't spoken about often enough, especially from a male's perspective, feeling and knowing things that I've gone through in the past and how I've been dealt and dealt with in many aspects of mental health, but I think more so now in a generalized population. From your point of view, Dr. Hamilton, when it comes down to mental health, I'm going to give this context of this story and this conversation a lot of my own personal experience which I would say is quite an extreme version from what most wouldn't go through at their point in certain stages in their life. But what I would like to know from you and what could you share with people today with regards to if they're feeling bouts of depression or maybe they're being made aware of it with certain family members and friends, where do we start with depression? How, How do we identify depression in society today?
1: So I think that's a really interesting question. Um, And I think a lot of us have have had personally low moods at certain times in our life, and and that is normal. That's entirely normal. So if you've lost your job, if um, maybe you've just had a baby, um, maybe you've had a bereavement, those are all times when we would expect to feel quite low in mood and, and not, you know, on things as we would normally be. And I think you've got to give yourself time for that and allow for that. When it becomes a bit more worrying and when I think you need to take a bit of action is is when you've been struggling for, say, more than a few weeks and it's creeping into months. If you're getting tearful, if you're getting snappy, aggressive. And I think if people are starting to mention it to you as well, um, and especially if more than one person's mentioned it to you. um, And it's not as simple as just... um, snapping out of it or pulling yourself together um that's that's when it starts to get more um important that you you get this dealt with by um a health professional
0: right so i'm going to give you a bit of context from my backstory because this is very different from what back when i went through a mental a very very severe mental health breakdown I've spoken about this numerous times on social media to raise more so awareness for people that struggle with mental health in different ways. But the root cause, the root elements of where it all started from was effectively being in a depressive state. That's kind of where it started because life had happened, life events had happened at certain points, which they're the things that I won't go into because that's the personal side of the journey. But the elements of mental health where it was beginning to impact me. I wasn't actually aware of feeling depressed at the time because I had numerous amounts of huge stresses going on around me. So there was business stresses, relationship stresses. Uh, There were just, again, personal circumstances, but there were just a vast amount of different stresses. Now, for me at that point in time, I couldn't identify feeling depressed. All I could identify was high levels of stress. And it was just fight or flight every single day for a very long period of time, trying to get through, trying to wade through all of these different life problems that had come up. What happened for me was when I realized there was, I was already in depression when I realized that there was a depressive element happening to me at that point in time from mental health. So for that point, I'd gone past the point of trying to grab hold of it at an early phase, at an early stage. So, here at this point in the conversation, what would you say, or how would you say that somebody should be mindful of themselves to catch this at an early stage before it gets too late because it's easy to say, "Oh, you're just feeling depressed or you are depressed," and it's a it's a label, it's a stigma thing that's thrown out there. But I think most people are unaware of what actually constitutes as feeling depressed to begin with like what are the signs and signals that people should be paying attention to to make it known to them that right i feel like i'm starting to struggle with depression
1: okay so i think the term depression does get banded around quite a lot um and i think people say oh i'm depressed because of x y and z and that's not being depressed that's having some difficult life events happening um or some bad luck when you are actually properly depressed, um, I think it's when you're you're feeling extremely low all the time. So if you're tearful more days than you, you're not, you might be suffering with um, a bit of anxiety, getting really um, quite stressed and wound up about things that you wouldn't normally be getting um, wound up about. Sometimes people will overeat or undereat. It can be be there. So appetite definitely can change. Some people may um, feel excessively sleepy or they may sleep lots and lots, um, even in the day, um, not able to get their head off the pillow. Uh, some people may not be able to sleep at all. So we know sleep is affected, weight's affected. Um, other things that you might get is sometimes just lots of interest in things. So you know can you watch a movie the whole way through do you still enjoy the same tv programs that you enjoy um are you motivated to do things and people can also find they have um a lot of interest in sex as well that can be um something then that affects your relationships affects your confidence so those kind of things if you're building up you know a collection of those type of symptoms that's when you do need to to go and get some help
0: right so We've got a clear identifier as to where people should be paying attention at the very early phases of catching depression before it gets substantially complicated. Because it is, there is no one size that fits all with this. And I I have a real issue with the labels that come with mental health because I've been labeled with numerous different labels over the years because of all of the different elements of mental health that I still deal with today and the ones that I battle continuously but just because I manage them in different ways. Some would now say, well, I don't deal with mental health. I don't have mental health problems, but I can reassure you every single day I do. I just, I found ways that work for me. So for me, depression, when I went through the early stages of it, it felt like my world was falling apart. And for somebody that didn't know what I was going through, I couldn't recognize that it was depression. I just felt like i would lost control of everything that was going on around me. Medical intervention for me came... I would probably say when things were beyond a manageable phase. And I think back then, and we're talking going on probably 11, 12 years ago. Um, back then, obviously, mental health wasn't as well known. It wasn't as well practiced uh, as what it is these days because of the society that we're living now and the world that we revolve in. So, with regards to the past and how I experienced it, there are still people that will live with that type of mindset. There are still people that will have that kind of that element of I'm living in this old school type of mindset and I'm going to refer to me. I'm a 41 year old male right now. I went through a mental health breakdown when I was 28. So males at that point in my, in my life, when I was 20 years old, it was don't speak about mental health. It shows weakness. It shows that you're not in control. It's expected of you to be an upstanding man in society. And this is, for me now, this gives me, it actually really, really frustrates me because there are labels that are thrown around in these kinds of conversations that outweigh a person in how they identify as who they are. Because male stigma and mental health is, I would say, is a huge contributor towards how males actually deal with mental health, because they don't deal with it very well, because we're taught to not show weakness. We're taught to be upstanding in society. We're taught to be this authoritative figure all the time. And being that way crippled me as an individual from not being able to speak about it. So I didn't seek help until it was far too late. And I was already in the depths of trying to fight back or even trying to just regain any kind of control in life because of. Society, so fast forward 11, 12 years now and where we are today, you've probably seen more societal changes than what I have dealing with mental health over the past 10 years, being in the GP world and everything else that goes on in the medical side of things. As we stand here right now today in this day and age, men, women, whoever you identify as, that doesn't make the difference. It's at what point do I say to myself, I need to seek medical advice now, because I've gone past the point of judging, assessing, being analytical of my actions, my everyday my everyday environment. But me as a person, whether there's a societal thing that stands behind it or not, how are you finding now people approach their mental health from the background that they've been brought up with? Because men, women, doesn't make the difference. The person that's struggling with this needs to know that they can take that step forwards at any point in, in in their, but they want to be able to control their outcome in their life. So they need to be able to take that step forwards for themselves. So how is it now in 10, 12 years later from how I was dealing with it back then, where there was a huge stigma around mental health, how is it impacting the medical practice now? How is it that people are showing up with their mental health struggles and how are they being dealt with?
1: Okay so that's quite a lot to unpick Um, (laughs) But I think if we start with I mean you mentioned about stigmatized stigmatization of mental health and I think a lot of people feel um, stigmatized when they admit they've got mental health problems Um, and I think it's like any kind of condition it's going to be easier to get help if you tackle it early on rather than rather than the issue getting worse and worse and then trying to tackle it when it's at a very high level and, and very problematic. So I think that's really important to to, to say to, to get help early on. Um, I think it's also we need to think about the reasons why people will present with some of these symptoms. So life is really difficult at the moment. We've got lots of unemployment, we've got lots of poverty. Um, and so people are, are very stressed at the moment. And I think that's important to acknowledge. Um, we know that some people are gonna be higher risk of um, having depression. So people that are lonely, people that have got um, chronic illnesses, people that are suffering um, with poverty. Um, and if people don't have lots of friends and family around them, these are all people that are gonna be at high risk of having depression. So I think if we can get a bit of more of a community feel back, And um, and to make sure we are looking at each other, our friends, our family, our work colleagues. And if we do know people that we think that might be high risk, that we are just checking in with them. So I think as a community, there's a lot that we can do in terms of, um, again, talking about this being a stigmatizing um, illness. That's what people will feel. And that's why people are can be quite worried about coming forwards. So I think what we need to do is reassure people that actually having a. An episode of depression in your life is quite common uh, st- the statistics show that around one in six people will have treatment for depression in their life. So I think once you know that you actually realize how common it is. Um, and it's not you just suffering alone. Um, and because it is such a, a common problem, there is a lot of help that you can get so and the good news is that there's a lot you can do before you come to your gp so if you've got to to try and get your confidence up before you come and speak to to somebody like myself or one of my colleagues um you can there are a few tricks that you can try so we know that exercise is really really helpful and i think this is where a bit of our common ground comes in doesn't it mm. um so when it's at a low, lower level now somebody that's in the deep depth of despair telling them to go for a run or something obviously isn't going to be that helpful but when you feel your mood is dropping so if you've been in that sort of area where you've had low mood for maybe a couple of months or a couple of weeks and you can just feel yourself not you're not who you used to be and people are commenting on it you might want to think about doing some regular exercise but actually having a bit of structure to it so research has shown that if you exercise for uh, more than 150 minutes a week or you know you give yourself that as a target 150 minutes a week that that does really make you feel better that increases all the the feel-good hormones, um, and it can be just as effective as antidepressant therapy without having any of the the side effects that antidepressants can have. Now, saying that, I'm not saying that you just need to exercise that people don't need antidepressants. In in some cases, people absolutely do need medication, but I think before going down that road, definitely trying to do some of the, the things such as exercising can be helpful making sure that you're having a a good quality diet, that you're not um, having excessive alcohol. So I think alcohol is another interesting one as well, because in the short term, you know, it does give us a bit of confidence, makes you feel better, but long-term alcohol is a depressant. So I think if you are having any kind of low moods, staying well away from things like alcohol is gonna be good, definitely in the short term. Um, And also, you know, people will smoke cannabis and things because they feel that it it makes them feel better. But again, we know that that does also have implications on your, on your mental health. So I think trying to live as cleanly and as healthily as you possibly can do is going to, you know, it's only going to be positive. So those are the kind of things that you can do maybe before you come to your GP and also just looking at some of your, your self help things. So there's a lot of really good, um, uh, self-help books available now and i know this is something again that we've also talked about in the past haven't we about yeah. um certain books and things that can be useful um and also there are some some really good high quality apps that you can download as well which is i think i'll we'll add some links at the bottom at the bottom um after this podcast regarding yeah. those
0: yeah okay so i'm going to come from behind the textbook now so obviously i know when it comes down to things like mental health depression anxiety etc there's a there's a textbook approach that a lot of medical professionals i would say would go about using this because it's a standardized approach now when i went through my struggle there wasn't as much documented there wasn't as much go-to resource or anything like that and i think a lot of people still think that way that there is limited availability There isn't. There's a a very much a vast amount of availability now. It's just knowing what to need at what certain times. And you mentioned the crossover from the the whole health perspective. Now, I'm not the kind of person that will sit here and read the textbook side of things because I know that every single person is already preempting this. If you've got depression and somebody's saying to you, go and do 150 minutes a week, now 150 minutes to somebody with depression sounds like a lot. It's like, I've got to go and do 150 minutes a week just to feel better. That number sounds huge when in reality, it's it's just over a couple of hours. And you can break that down into 20-minute walks multiple times a week to accumulate that 150 hours. It's more about doing something proactive. And this is where that, that's kind of without skipping by the whole depression depression phase that I went through. That is the turning point where it kind of I got I regained control of my life again, and I was fortunate to qualify in sports science very early on, and I could use this as an anchor to revisit some of the physical aspects. But it was an unknowing way that I did this. I was on a huge amount of medication uh, for multiple different reasons to do with multiple different mental health struggles that I was going through, and. The issue that I had was finding that drive, that motivation to want to go and do the physical things. It's, that, it's when you're at the bottom of the pit, you don't want to be focusing on yourself. You just want something that gets rid of the problem. So then you can go and focus on the things that you need to do to get you out of the bottom of the pit. But that's the trick. That's the element. That's the thing that really you've got to turn that mindset around with regards to you can take a medical route. And you can go and take the route of taking medication, the pills, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can go and take the physical route. Now, I was put onto the medical route to begin with. And I went through numerous different antidepressants. Um, All of them came with different side effects. I had severe weight gain with one of them. I had restlessness with another. I had sleep deprivation with another. There There was this massive different... Spectrum of side effects that I was getting, so I was moved from sertraline to to citalopram and a different, a few different other coping mechanisms, coping strategies. Let's say now, over the space of two two and a bit years, um, these medications became more reliant, and I was just coming up to the age of thirty, and I didn't want to be on a carrier bag of medication every single month to try and manage where I was at. So where you mentioned that whole becoming more physically and health aware before getting to those deeper stages of depression for me that was the turning point because fitness was the anchor that allowed me to regain control of what was going on now a lot of people might have looked at my life over the past 10 years and i've been i've been slim and lean i've been bulky and powerlifting i've done all of these different things over this different period of time because Fitness to me is experience. It's going through these different things and finding what works for me as an individual and what I enjoy the most. Now, what I do the most now, probably to most, looks like bodybuilding with an element of fitness kind of tagged onto the back end of it. But it's actually, to me, it's not what it is. To me, it's therapy. To me, it's I get up every single day and have that physical element to my daily routine because it keeps me away from moving back into needing medication it keeps me in control of mentally compartmentalizing where I'm at and being self-analytical of my current state. So to get to that point where you either go down the medication route, you go down the health route, or you maybe combine both of these aspects together, there is no, I would say, one way is better than the other. Like what Dr. Joe Hamilton said is, some people need the medication first to get them going. Other people might have that stronger set mindset where they can be a bit more forceful in their own accountability and say, I will put myself in a position of physical health first. And that just kind of pulls them out of the bottom end. But long term, and let's look at this realistically, because there's a couple of things that we spoke about before we jumped into this podcast today. One of them was putting information on a table in a waiting room. I want to touch on that. And about the information on the back of the toilet door that I want to touch on. But the other thing is the longevity, the period, the time length that somebody would actually go through this thing. I think this is massively unheard of as well. People don't speak about this often enough. I was on medication for a very long time. And do not do what I did, but I went cold turkey on the medication because my mindset had switched to a different place where I was in more control of my actions at that point than what I was by taking medication. Medication was suppressing me too much. Now, I know for a fact that it didn't serve me in the short term going cold turkey on the medication because I was going through massive struggles trying to get over those issues going cold turkey. But if I'd have done this with the information that I had back then, it would, have, it would have been a very different scenario with the information that we've got today in this day and age. So longevity, let's cover that one first. If somebody is going to choose the route of medical, as in prescribed prescriptions, medication, et cetera, what is the expectation of how long should they give? How long would they expect it to be on medication for? And what's kind of the weaning phases of coming off the medication? Because that I was not made aware of when I was on the medication.
1: Okay. So I think to answer that question fully, um, I'd probably backtrack a bit. Um, and I probably would not recommend you do the route that you did. um, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't to anybody. (laughs) Okay. So I think we've got to think about how we approach from, um, from a medical, um, sort of professional, um, perspective about, um, depression. So if somebody comes to me uh, with a symptoms of depression um it's going to be individualized care that they get and I think that's the the emphasis now that a lot of our training with with depression is that we have to treat people as individuals so it's not a, a one case fits all you fit nicely into this box we'll do xy and z what I tend to do at the very beginning is just, you know, have a, a chat with a patient, try and get a bit of a, a rapport going, see, you know, ha- how they are um, and how different they are from what their, their baseline is. Uh, once you've sort of got that established, I try to to work out whether I feel that they've got moderate or severe or mild depression, and that can be different for, for different people. And you've also got to assess risk as well. I mean, is this person going to just not enjoy their life as fully with this illness, or could they be at risk of harming themselves? So all of those things are going through my head in a in a consultation with a patient. There are some tools that we can use as well. There's a questionnaire that you can give to someone, um, and that's called a PHQ-9. And that that will tell us if somebody is either mild, mildly or, or severely depressed. So it's not the only thing we use, but it's it's quite a helpful tool. So once we have all that information and we can put it all together, it's really important that, you know, the doctors, um, the mental health experts are are discussing with the patient. What do they want to do? What do they think is going to be helpful going forward? Now, what we try and encourage is sort of called shared care where we're making those decisions together. I'm not telling somebody what they do. Um, You know, it's not it's not me being sort of dictatorial about what, what they do. So it's sort of really shared care. And a lot of people respond quite well to that approach because they don't want, you know, somebody telling them what to do. A lot of the time, there are some simple measures that can be really effective. So if I I think and the patient agrees that they they may be mildly um, uh, depressed and we need to try and support them with that. The first sort of thing that we would try is um, self-help, as we've discussed, then things like the exercise measures, those kind of things. If that's not helping or we feel that somebody's more severely depressed, it's going to be some psychological talking therapies that can be really helpful. So the NHS um, has deemed that what we should be trying to provide is um, what the patient is going to find most beneficial, and what they think they can do. So um, cognitive behavioural therapy can be really helpful for, for some people. Um, and that can be group based or individual and people are going to be, some people might be terrified of sitting in a group and having, you know, therapy, other people might actually think that gives them a bit more companionship and will will help things. So those are all the things that we can do before medications are considered. But if we do then have, um, the discussion about medications and you mentioned a couple of them, you mentioned search lean and citalopram and they are, some of the first line medications that we do start people on. So I think it's really important when you are starting a medication that you do have the, the conversations with your, your healthcare practitioner about possible side effects and you know what you're getting into before you start them. So if you do get some side effects, you know, um, how to manage them. Are these normal side effects? Will they pass? I'm sure it would have been helpful if somebody had had these discussions with, with you before starting them.
0: I think back then for me it was there was a lot of unknowns um with mental health there was just a, a, a one si- there was a one size fits all approach back then and it was medication uh, medication and then i was offered c b t but it just it wasn't they told me it was it wasn't gonna be practical for me because of where i was at mentally with things uh, my need elevated then to another level which again was more psychiatry et cetera moving forwards with that um, but I think back then, if there was the same level of information that we had now, and there's the options and access that we have for managing mental health now, it would have been a completely different outcome and also a different experience. I would say my experience with battling through mental health was quite brutal in the whole process, the journey, the support, the well, <laughs> lack of support back then, really, because I was accused of numerous things back then faking it. It wasn't, it was all these different elements of, this isn't, this is just it seems too extreme to be a mental health issue. I was screened for bipolar and schizophrenia and all sorts. And just because of all of that, my experience going through mental health was made more severe than what anybody has to go through now with the access to information that we've got. So my encouragement through this whole podcast is always going to be: if you're feeling anything other than your usual self, speak to somebody, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, get some feedback from them first. Because if they know you as well as you know you, and you're not feeling yourself right now, maybe it is time to go and speak to a GP. But what I was told is my experience with the medication side of things was going to be a years, not months, it was going to be a years kind of timeline. And I didn't want to be on medication for years because I was gaining weight, I was feeling disconnected. It wasn't giving me the quality of life that I wanted to try and overcome dealing with the severe mental health episodes at that point in time. It was making the journey harder, which is, again, like I say, I wouldn't do this now because we've got better information, but that's the reason why I chose to do what I did. And I took it upon myself with regards to that. And had I had that information, it would be a completely different story now. And it would be a completely different journey because we do have more data-backed evidence of how to manage these processes moving forward to get somebody back into better health. So if somebody was to go on to medication, how long would they be expected to be on medication for if the symptoms were improving?
1: Okay. So I think in order to to answer that, I'll just jump back to about when you start the medications and then I will go back on to answer sort of timelines and things like that. So um, it sounds like you had a a pretty horrendous time of it um, and we want you know and I think part of the purpose of this podcast is is to try and help people if they do go in uh, speak to a GP they know what to expect and how to try and get the most out of their appointments um so if we go back to if you do have a discussion with somebody about starting um mental health medication um about how how it's going to affect you so that's important so you have that I tend to have a really open frank, conversation with my patients about, it might make you feel a bit more agitated to start with. It might make you feel a bit more anxious and actually your mental health in the short term might dip, but that's not you, you've not done anything wrong. Um, this is just the medication getting into your system and starting to have some effect. So I always would follow up a patient within the first two weeks of starting, okay? And I would also make sure that they realize that at that two week appointment, you know i don't expect them to be fixed i don't it's not a, a magic bullet when i follow them up either one to two weeks or ha- however long it is um that they're the reason for that that sort of follow-up is to check that they're tolerating that medication that it's uh, the side effects are improving a little bit but probably within that time frame they're not going to start feeling better and that's really important to set that expectation but they are going to be supported. We are going to, you know, care for them through through this journey. Um, after that point, at around the month mark, I would, I would hope somebody's beginning to feel better. And again, it's more as though you should, if the medications are working, that you feel like a cloud is lifted and just things you feel a bit brighter. You might start enjoying a movie again. You might want to go out and start some exercise. At that sort of four week period, that's what I would hope that the person is feeling. Now, if they're not, it might be that we need to increase the medication or if they're still getting side effects and they're feeling, you know, quite rubbish with, with it all. Um, it might be that we change to a different type of medication um, in terms of, I think, to try and answer your question that you originally asked me was how long you're going to need to be on these medications. so. I sort of would say to the patient, you just set an imaginary uh, stop clock. So when you feel like you're back at your baseline, how you want to be feeling, set yourself a target of six months. And so I would say you need to carry on being on that medication for six months if it's working well. Um, Don't stop it after two months because you feel great, you think you're fixed. Um, you You want to get yourself stable for a period of time. So all those sort of feel good chemicals in your brain a uh, nice and balanced. And then when you do stop, you don't do what happened in, in your case mm. and just stop it dead. So it's really understandable why people do that, especially if they're getting side effects. But I think this is part of when I sort of counsel and talk to patients, they know not to, to do that. So, and it's going to be different with each antidepressant as well. So, in terms of some antidepressants last longer in your system than others. Uh, But I think most of them and most GPs would agree that you should wean them down quite slowly. Okay, and it's going to be on an individual basis, your symptoms, what tablets you're on. So always have a word with your GP about how to stop, how to start weaning your medications down. So I think that would be my advice if that was your first episode of depression. Now, if you've had an episode of depression in the past and it's been treated and you've been well for a period of time, but then you can feel yourself slowly you know slipping downwards again um when you i would generally advise uh to to restart the medications start feeling better and then set that at this point i would reset your stopwatch your imaginary stopwatch you had for for about two years because it's you've got to be a little bit more aggressive with how you treat um depression that's come back right so, okay There is lots that that we can do and there's lots that we can we can help people with. And I think it's important that people are getting side effects like you did in your case that are not tolerable, that you don't just carry on with them. Um, What I say to patients is that you might feel a bit sick for the first few days of taking it. Some people might feel fluey for up to two weeks, but it shouldn't completely knock you off and make you, you make you. Um, unable to get out of bed, that kind of thing. So that's when you would need to, to speak to your GP and go, no, I don't think you got me on the right one, doctor.
0: I think that's something that a lot of people need to be a bit more open with as well is the honesty in where they're at with it. Because when I went through my experience, I was moved from medication to medication, trying to communicate that. I mean, I, I had communication issues as well, because I, like cognitively my, my thought process for breaking down, so my speech pattern was... It's still, you'll you hear it every now and again now. And I've come to learn to accept it. It's normal to me now. But my brain runs quicker than my mouth can speak. And then sometimes that stops it from being able to pronounce things properly. So my communication back then was horrendous. And trying to be able to fit, find the confidence to say to a GP, like, this isn't working or this isn't giving me the result that, that I, I would be expecting. I think that can be hard for a person without knowing. I think the, the stig- going back to the stigma thing, the stigma behind mental health is that it's this secret thing that shouldn't be spoken about behind closed doors that you keep to yourself and you don't kind of spread it around the world because it's infectious if you talk about depression. Depression is not infectious if you speak to a friend or a family member or a GP about this. It's more a case of how you deal with this as the individual, because it's going to be a unique and very unique process for every person that goes down the route of dealing with depression and mental health. My experience back then was brutal. It wasn't a very nice experience. And there was very little support with regards to what the outcome was going to look like. It was I was told continuously, this is how you're going to live your life for the rest of your life. And that was a fear for me back then is I didn't want to be on medication for the rest of my life. I didn't want to feel like I was disconnected from the world. I felt like there was no meaning for me at all to exist. There was a numbness around life. And all of those things combined, it kind of worsened the scenario for me. It made things... It made, I questioned why was I taking medication? Why was I taking the advice of GPs and professionals when life wasn't getting any better? And again, trigger warning, but... I had, I was self-harming. I had a couple of attempts on my life too, all because of going down that rabbit hole with depression and and not being pulled back out of it. And for me, medication was increased. Um, It didn't really seem to have any impact apart from the severity of the side effects. It's kind of like if somebody had been taking steps towards trying to improve themselves, and depression has been maybe a big part of their life for a long time. I've I've met a lot of people in the, that have lived this kind of lifestyle throughout my 12 years of being you know, a coach in Impact Health Club, owning some space within the fitness industry. People have found a, a comfort in being able to speak to me about certain elements of their mental health that maybe they struggle talking to family members and friends with because I've experienced something that they're going through. Now, when they're going through these phases and they feel like there is no end in sight, how does somebody and i want to ask this from a medical like from the medical angle on this how does somebody go there's a light at the end of the tunnel if i take the advice from the gp from the psychiatrist from the therapist there's a light at the end of the tunnel if i take these actions because in that moment there in that time i can guarantee you now anybody that's struggling with depression is going to feel like there is no options for them and there is no positive outcome because they're so familiar with that negative environment that they're used to being in that pulls them back down again. So what incentive does it give them to take positive action? Because that's what that is. Even the conversation is a positive action in the direction of getting this issue resolved. But it stops them from doing that.
1: Hmm. So I think... One of the things that I would say, and I think one of the the things I hope to achieve with this podcast is to try and give people some tips and tricks about how they, when they approach their GPs, to to sort of maximise and and get the most out of their appointment from from them. Because as I said, a a 10-minute consultation is very difficult for everybody to get out what what they need and, and to plan where we go forward. So I would say, I think... And I think you would agree, wouldn't you? Your mental health journey, it definitely sounds like you had quite complex, quite severe depression. Yes, yeah,
0: I mean, I, I was probably, you know, a small percentage of the what they would probably categorise as depress- depression and mental health. I was probably like at the extreme end of this entire process, don't get me wrong. But also just, to, just a caveat on this is I was at the very end, you know, I was at a very, very, it's a very challenging place to be without it, without being desensitive about being uh, desensitive about what the situation is. So I'm not kind of desensitising this in any single way or shape or form, but I was at the very extreme end of it. And where I was, there is options so long as you do the work that's required, whether that be the medication, whether that be speaking to the GP or taking health back in control again and using that. Like I said, I use health now as the therapy there is there is a light at the end of a tunnel but you have to do the work whichever option that you choose whatever route you start to go down you have to do the work that gets you into that better space in life
1: and I think that's important I mean and another GP I'm not going to take the the credit for this actually said the the anecdote of about mental health medications that they're not they're not going to solve everything it's a bit like having a life jacket on if you're if you're stranded in the middle of the ocean you've still got to kick yourself to shore but it's like having the life jacket on it's gonna it's gonna keep you sort of afloat for 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 a while um and i think to be a bit more positive about things a vast majority of people do get better from Mm. depression so that's really important to say that the vast majority of people do get better from depression And in terms about sort of approaching your GP, and again, it sounds like you didn't have the the best set of circumstances or or the best care. And I think the guidelines that we now use that came out in 2020, it's much more about individualised care, as I said before. And it's also about trying to to give the patients some continuity. So I'm not sure what your experience was, but I know a lot of patients that I've seen that they've gone from lots of different GPs or nurse practitioners and they have to go through the whole emotional story again. And that mm. takes its toll. And I think one of the important things that you you mentioned was it's really difficult when you're in that black hole to say this isn't working. This is what I want. This is what I think I need. So trying to get that. um relationship with your therapist your doctor that you can feel that you you're not going to be judged you can say look i know we've done this but it's not working so for me it's quite important that i get that that rapport with the patient that they can they can question me if they think that my advice just isn't helping them so One of my tips would be to take from this is that, you know, if you've seen a GP in your practice in the past that you like, that you think you've had a bit of a rapport, really try quite hard to to get an appointment with them. Um, You might want to phone up and when you make your appointment, ask the receptionist, is there a GP with a, a specialist interest in mental health? So we can all cover mental health. But quite often you'll have a, a champion or a lead. One of the doctors will have that specific expertise or a bit of extra training. So that's always quite useful. Um, and then if you once you've sort of got that continuity, what I try to do with patients as well, that I will book up a point. I will book up follow up appointments with them. So I know not every not every practice will have the availability to do that. But I think if things are left a bit open ended for your for your liking, do you say, oh, could we book that in then? So for two weeks time, can we book that in? That's definitely what I try to do. If I'm a bit more worried about someone, I might not leave it as long as two weeks. I might leave it a little bit less time than that. Now, one of the other things I just also wanted to touch on was in sort of a circumstance like yours. I think that's you know fair to say complex. What we would probably be doing at that point, so if somebody's got what we call refractory depression, so depression that isn't being helped at all by, you know, a couple of changes of different kinds of medications, or after you've had some quite high level talking therapies, that's when we'd be moving on to the, to the specialist. So I think it's important that people are aware that there is help in primary care, but if we're not getting to the bottom of it, we can then move you further up the chain to, to more um, uh, specialized care, but within general practice and most anxiety, depression can be dealt with really well in general practice. I think the, the new guidelines that came out in 2022, those are the nice guidelines, they have sort of pushed for this more individualized care. So. What we've tried to do in GP practices, we realize that it's not all just mental health and therapy. Sometimes, you know, trying to help the patients tackle their sort of social issues are helpful as well. So we have said, we know that you're at risk of worsening mental health if you're suffering with poverty, if you're lonely. And we know that, you know, there's a huge proportion of over 55s now that are living in more isolated type lifestyles that are going to be quite high risk of having depression. So in general practices, now we all employ, um, professionals called, um, uh, Oh, it's gone now the name it's, um, social prescribers. That's it. So we have social prescribers for us and they're really helpful sort of go between. So if we've got somebody that we're a bit worried about from, um, a mental health perspective, um, will get the patient's permission to refer them to a social prescriber. And these can be people with really quite high-level knowledge in what's available locally for those people. So if they can't afford to to eat and heat their house, they can give them some information on food banks, things like that. If somebody's really socially isolated, they can get some um, information about sort of socialising networks. So I think we've talked about before, haven't we, men being at quite high risk because they They tend to ask for help a lot less than women do. Um, and they do tend to be a bit more socially isolated and they think they've got to go, go through everything on their own. Um, so there's lots of men's groups available now. Um, so I think I just want people to be aware that there is a lot more help than there used to be. Certainly I think when you were going through your, your issues about you know, 10, 12 years ago, I would really hope that the, the level of help is better generally across the country. I know that it is where we work, where I work locally, that there has been a real push in delivering more individualized care. Now, I'm just gonna touch again on one of the things we mentioned earlier on that I know you wanted me to to talk about. And it was a bit about how to to deliver information to people. And Mm. I think we're all different. Um, And in terms of how people perceive things. we know that if you put information down, say, in a coffee room, you might put down sort of leaflets or something, you know, raising an awareness of a certain medical issue. Women are more likely than men to pick up those leaflets, talk about them, so whether that's breast screening or breast checks, those kind of thing. And women you know are more likely to to pick it up, put it in the handbag or or talk to you know the person next to them about it. If you put something like that on a table regarding men's health, they're more likely to ignore it. Um, so, you know that their pride, uh, they're they're less accepting to to ask for help and you know help, more worried about being judged. And I think there has been a study where they find that actually the most effective form of communication for men is if you you put something on the back of a, a toilet door. So, or you know, um, say something like a. Some advertisement so especially if it's sort of a man's related issue so something like prostate health things like that you know men might take a photo of that or save the telephone number and then look it up later so we just got to think about and i think that's important in general practice how we deal with people i think it just shows that everybody is quite individual on how they're going to receive information so i think you made some really important points there about you know, not feeling that you can challenge, you know, medical professionals sometimes, but I think you've got to really try and do that. And it's the job of, of the medical professional to try and tease out any of your concerns that you do have.
0: I think, yeah, I think that's, again, a valid point that you touch on is because now in this day and age, there are, technologies obviously come up hugely in the last six, seven years with regards to how things are accessible. So back then, there was no apps that I could use. There were no mindfulness-type courses you can take um, with regards to things like Audible or books or resources that you can get access to. A lot of the things that i that have helped me over there, that I've kind of built into my lifestyle and just the person that I've become are things that I can do that I have easy access to. That I think the biggest thing with mental health is... The individual has to get to a point where they can be open about what's going on in their life. It's when there's the, you know, and I'm looking at the rooms that we're in right now, and it's the closed door scenario. You shut yourself behind the closed door and you don't open those doors. You're going to make everything 10 times harder for yourself, even if you're on the other side of those doors asking for a better world, a better life to remove the pains and sufferings that you're feeling every single day. Until you decide to even just fractionally open that door and let either somebody or a process or a system through that can help you, you're going to continue to struggle if you keep those doors closed. And it wasn't until I took full responsibility of just me as an individual. And I said, back then it was, I'm prepared to do what it takes, try, 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 because the failure part for me, and this was probably read or heard way back when I was starting the whole personal growth journey type stuff that helped me. And it was just every single attempt is just a, a way for you to know that that way doesn't work for you if it was a failure, but it doesn't mean that it's the only way that might work for you. So you may have tried the medication and it just doesn't work for you, but you might find that the physical element Health in itself. So looking after you know nutrition, looking after your physical health a lot better, just being more mindful of you of you as an individual. That might be the thing that works for you. And that might be the thing like me that you grab hold on to and it becomes your therapy. It becomes part of the lifestyle that you start to build. But for others, it might be the reverse. It might be that they can't do the physical thing because they need that edge of life taking off and that little bit of incentive, that life jacket that you spoke about just to lift them back up to the surface again so then they can paddle to shore and do the work that's required. But until you decide to just open that door just a little bit to allow whatever's helps on the other side in, don't be surprised if it becomes a journey that you then become the, the obstacle that's in the way because there are things, processes, apps, technology, people, there is so much out there these days that would help somebody in the early stages, in the severe stages, God forbid, not going what I went through, not going through that, there is no need to have to get to those phases because of what's there and available this, this day. But you have to get to a point where you say, I need help. And that is a hard, They are they are hard words to say to somebody or for somebody to say when they don't want to admit that they need help.
1: No, absolutely, and I think you know we started to working together a couple of years ago, didn't we? Mm. And um, and I think I came to a certainly a point in my life where I knew there needed to be a change. Um, I think you know in whether I was at low level burnout, I'd lost my father Um, and, and, you know, life was was difficult. And I really found a way forward through um, exercise, um, going to the gym regularly, looking after myself, you know, watching what I put into my body, what I'm eating, what I'm drinking. Um, And certainly, you know, I think you got me onto Audible as well. And I'm now pretty much an Audible addict, self-help addict. I love it every day i'm driving to work i'm listening to something so i think like you said some you've got to find what works for you um yeah. and what works for one individual definitely isn't going to work for for another individual and i think this is going back to the point about speaking to somebody that you feel comfortable um, with uh and i think for me throwing my, how, you know throwing myself into health and fitness was a massive game changer for me um And I think sometimes finding a GP or a therapist that you you trust and get on with, that can be really important and really impactful for other people. So, as I've said, you know, finding somebody that you can speak to that you're comfortable with. And I think as well, not being embarrassed or feeling that if you're not just getting what you need or it's not helping, ask to speak to someone else, um, you know. Certainly, sometimes I'll ask for help with colleagues as well. If I feel that I'm not getting through with someone, it's not progressing, I don't feel that I can help them. Sometimes just, you know, changing to a, a different GP or, you know, somebody different can be really helpful. So especially, you know, a man might prefer to, to might be more comfortable to speaking to a woman um, or, or vice versa. Again, it's going to be difficult and just not being afraid to say, it's not, nothing personal, but could I speak to someone else? I think I need a, a different approach. Uh, I think those are all going to be things that can be can be quite helpful. And I think the other thing that I want to mention as well is that once you're feeling better, which is great, there's there's a period of maintenance as well. All right, And I think we've spoken about this before, haven't we? Yeah, I, um, actually,
0: I nearly missed this point because I, I, it's how I wanted to end this, but I, it completely slipped my mind. So I'll let you continue.
1: Yeah, so definitely if you've had more than one episode of low mood or depression in your life you you are likely not likely but you are at higher risk of developing um depression again one of the ways you can try and ward that off and if you're somebody that doesn't want to be on medications for the rest of your life you certainly don't need to be so if you've managed to get yourself off medications and you're still feeling well still participating in in some type of um uh, mental health therapy is advisable so you know for some people it might be keeping up that regular exercise for other people it might be therapy talking therapies um, and it might be for, for other people um, group-based things so I think it's really important that you know it's not a project that you just sign off that you, you do keep on that that level of um, maintenance to make sure that you are looking after your mental health and I think it's always important to have maybe a friend or somebody that you trust that you just say, can you just check in with me every few months just to check I'm okay? Because you might not be in the right headspace to actually be asking for help again. So I think surrounding yourself with good people is also a really important thing as well.
0: Yeah. So my process, 10, 12 years of health, fitness, personal growth, mindset work, and all of the things that contribute towards me being able to live the life that I live now Has all been, it's a constant awareness to what it is that I'm currently needing at that point in time. So, like you said, there was never, there's never going to be a complete resolution to dealing with mental health. You, if you've likely to have experienced something at some point, chances are you're probably a little bit more susceptible than most to experiencing again later on down the line with certain life challenges triggers etc that might get you back into that place and i can put my hands up to this because i've you can say relapsed however you want to, to to word it i've done this numerous times i normally have at least one bout per year where i really have to check in with myself because because i've seen the progression in how i've built or rebuilt myself as a person it allows me to think forwards in what i can do with the future that i want to be able to build because if i've rebuilt myself from what i would say is the bottom of the barrel and i'm trying to work my way back up again i've now got to a point where i feel like i'm you know i'm out of i'm out of that environment and i'm kind of free and allowed to do what i'm allowed to do but if i don't do the work that allows me to be andy who i am every single day i end up back in that barrel i end up going back i can feel myself sinking back down to the bottom and it can be as simple as not enjoying the type of training that you're doing which is why i've done different things over the years and now i have found something that i enjoy and it's not about for me it's not about the physical look of anything you know i kind of i, I never accept it but people you know I'm, no, I'm not the smallest of guys and i know this you know i'm 225 pounds i'm 5 foot 11 you know, I wish I was six foot, but I'm just not. Um, there are certain things, if I don't do these things, my health slips without me even realizing it because I've got myself into this method where, you know, the, the feed at certain times of the, the mental work, the mindset work, the mindfulness stuff. So, whether that be audible or meditation or using mindset apps, the physical aspect, the fitness, the nutrition. If those elements start to fall apart in places, I do start to fall back down again. and It's no different to somebody with 10 years behind them of something's happened in their past with mental health, and all of a sudden, you feel surprised that depression's caught up with you again because you didn't carry on doing the things that got you out of feeling that way. You kind of relied on, I've I've felt this way for a long period of time now. It's that complacency, that work's done, and I never revisit this. Trust me, you do. And no matter what avenue you go down with this, it will catch you back up if you don't continue to keep doing the things that allow you to live that positive life moving forwards and how you regain control of your health right now or two.
1: And I think, you know, this is one of the things that I find really helpful while we've been working together over the few years. Even as a, as a medical professional myself, I know what I have to do, I, you know, but actually doing it and being accountable it's is quite difficult. It's not easy, even when you know the steps that you've got to take. So I found you know, working with somebody like yourself um, as, a, as a coach and somebody that keeps you accountable, that keeps you on the right track is really helpful. Now, I know not everybody has has the luxury of being able to do that, but I think having the right people in your life that are going to be checking in with you, keeping you on the right track is really important. So I think I've said it before about, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people is really important. Um, One of the other things I'd probably just like to mention as well is, you know, it's not selfish to look after yourself. It's not selfish to prioritize your your physical health or your mental health. Um, And I think even if you do have a lot of responsibilities to other people, so if you're a parent or you're caring for someone, you know, I know it's... um, it's the old adage, isn't it? You've got to, to put your life jacket on before you can help anybody else. If you're not safe, you can't look after anybody else. So that's one of the biggest things I always say to my patients is, you know, prioritising yourself is not selfish. At the end of the day, you're going to be a much better version of yourself. You're going to look after everybody much better if you're putting yourself, you know, at the forefront of things.
0: I think that is the perfect way to kind of end this podcast really is it's not a selfish act to look after yourself first. You can't be a better individual to those around you if you're not bettering yourself in that process. And that in itself, I think that says it all. I think that says that if you need to take that step now to be a better individual, it's not a selfish act to go and do so. So just so everybody knows, you can, so Impact Health Club, um, we cover a lot of these at I would say is a very monthly affordable price for looking after your health at the foundational levels. So we can look at, you know, your nutrition, we take your training into consideration. We give you things that you can work on for yourself as resources. We provide Information, context, we've also got our partner GP, as you know, Dr. Jill Hamilton, inside of there as well. So there is an element of support in multiple areas inside of Impact Health Club that people can use. And this was built from my experience, bringing myself from a period in life where I was struggling very much. And I've, I've basically built a worldwide digital version of everything that I can give back to people through Impact Health Club. And I would encourage anybody, if you're going through something where you feel like you need to change the direction of life and you want to look at maybe taking health and fitness as the anchor point and then maybe try medication, give Impact Health Club a shot. If not, go through the medication. There's also the option later on down the line. You've got Impact Health Club there in the background to help you start moving forwards. And inside of there, we keep everybody accountable. We have the community of people too. So you're surrounded by like-minded people that are looking to move forward, that are always on that personal development journey too. So thank you, Dr. Jill Hamilton, as always, always valuable information. Um, If you you are struggling with something right now, and I'm going to talk to you right now, if you are struggling with something right now, if this has been relevant to you, or is impacting you or a family member or a friend that you might have, or even a work colleague, Make them aware of this podcast. Share it with them, even if it's just a, you know what, give this a listen today because I think it might help where you are right now and give you some solutions moving forwards. And like I said, you will get the links that I know Dr. Joe Hamilton is going to share with us at the end of this too. We'll put them in all of the notes, the captions, the descriptions below on all of the u- usual platforms through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so until the next one, next month we will do another MedFit podcast. Um, i'll make you aware of what it's going to be at that point in time but between now and then look after yourselves it's not a selfish act as dr hamilton said it's not a selfish act to look after yourself and put yourself first as the priority make sure you do so thank you for sticking around for this one thank you dr joe hamilton anything you want to say before we go
1: i think what i would say is as well um in terms of fitness and health especially if you may be uh, struggling with with your weight and with your mental health you know and as i said things can be a problem to, to afford things. So do have a word with your local general practice, speak to the receptionists. They may have a social prescriber that can um, put you forward for things that, that are free of charge. So don't let poverty and, and don't let um, not having the money uh, be something that's gonna hold you back. All right, so there's always there's always something you can do and definitely the social prescriber a local GP practice is gonna be somewhere really, really good to start with.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all for sticking around. We'll see you in the next one. Have an awesome day. Take care.